This is In Tune, the in-series podcast, opening up to you your own in-series opera and more, an oasis of intimate, innovative, and inspiring ideas through music, theater, art, and opera. We're recording on December the 24th, a holiday evening, and this is a rebroadcast of our recent director salon for From U Street to the Cotton Club. We held the event on December the 17th at the True Reformer Building, and you'll hear me explain in the audio why that space was so important for this particular salon. The guests you'll hear from are local historian and tour guide Timothy Wright, writer of From U Street to the Cotton Club, Sybil Williams, director and co-creator of the production, Kenyatta Rogers, musical director Stanley Thurston, and the evening was moderated by Lewis Hicks Jr. from DC Humanities. We open with performances from the cast of From U Street to the Cotton Club, and then I've included some of what turned into a long and fascinating community conversation on art and Washington, D.C.'s quickly changing urban landscape. And it's my pleasure to welcome you all here this evening. We're so glad that you joined us. Um, the idea behind these salons this year, my idea to, to transform them a bit, was based on the idea of getting uh, scholars, thinkers from different fields together to have an open public conversation uh, where you as, as, our, as our friends can chime in and share thoughts and ideas. The other part of that was to find interesting spaces throughout the city that we could do that in. But the whole, uh, the whole thesis of the project was based on this evening. The one event that was really important to me was the idea that we could do the director's salon for From U Street to the Con Club in the True Reformist building. And, and I'm really, really pleased that we're all here in this amazing space. The True Reformist building uh, was the first African-American financed, designed, concepted, built building uh, after reconstruction by the first African-American architect to be certified in Virginia and DC. Um, and it's where Duke Ellington first performed along with many of DC's um, jazz greats. And, and it's, a, it's a really special opportunity, I feel, for us to be able to be in this space and have this conversation. So we're going to give you a taste of the show here at the beginning of the, of the evening, and then we're going to let the performers go over to Source and to continue their rehearsal, and during which time I'll introduce our, um, our special guests, and we'll have a conversation, and then at the end open it up for your questions. And dive right in and give you a taste of it, and then we'll talk a little bit about what you just saw and what you will see in between the two. Um, so Dear Lord above, God Almighty. 
Don't 
think about um, where we are today and where we were in the past, and is this a positive way we're moving forward? Uh, so that's that's a, a big question, I think. Uh, I think since you know we're in 2018, um, a lot of the tour is about is adapted from a tour I have called the Art and Soul of Black Broadway, and the tour really is about how this area, U Street, also T Street, became known as Black Broadway, what happened during that time period, and why, arguably, it's not that anymore. And a big part of that story is what you alluded to in 1968, uh, with the uprisings and revolts in 1968, a lot of the built environment changed. So a lot of the tour is about the built environment. You know, the built environment is all built structures and the spaces in between them, and they all buildings can tell the story. Every block can tell uh, a novel, and every city is like a, an, an encyclopedia. So. We tried, I tried to use the built environment to tell the stories of the people, of the music, of the history, of the neighborhood. And you can use buildings that are here to tell that story. You can also use buildings that are no longer here to tell that story. And this is, luckily, we're in a building that has, is still here from 1903, but a lot of the great structures aren't here anymore. Um, but we can't let the stories of what happened inside those buildings go away. Uh, so that I'll jump off at that point, because I think the built environment is so important and not, you know, U Street is, to a lot of folks, defined by 1968, and it really shouldn't be. Uh, it has a history that goes all the way back to 1800 when the District of Columbia was incorporated. And you can't start in 1968 and finish in 2018. You have to incorporate the whole history. So I'm sure we'll get into more uh, about you know, what that history is uh, and who those folks were, but uh, that'll just be my first little contribution to the conversation. Thank you. Um, wow, that is a big question. When I look at U Street now, it becomes even more important to tell the stories of the people. Um, I agree that as a native Washingtonian, it, it really is important that we acknowledge Pearl Bailey and Cap Calloway and Duke Ellington and Florence Mills. There's so many wonderfully talented, Marvin Gaye, people who came from D.C. that nobody knows. They started in D.C. It's always been a hub and a home for artists. It's also always been a hub and a home, a lane lock at Howard University, Montgomery T. Gregory, people who founded the theater program, Zora Neale Hurston at Howard University. I taught at Howard for a number of years. So for me, when I look at U Street from the time I, being a native Washingtonian, just going up and down as a kid, from the time I started teaching on, on um, Georgia Avenue until now, it seems to me even more crucial that we remember all of the people who shaped not only the national conversation around African culture and the arts here in D.C., but how that conversation continues, how they continue to shape that conversation. I still teach Locke. I still teach Hurston. I still teach Duke Ellington. So it really does become, the, the play itself is kind of this wonderful arc. And we put all of these wonderful people in it and we just sail them out to you. So I hope that that will, will continue to, to motivate you and mean something to you. Hi, um, so uh, Sybil said it beautifully, uh, and what our play is about is, if we're talking building by building and legacy by legacy, uh, the play really kind of drills down to family by family, uh, that it gets passed down in local lore. So that not, you know, what I think is fun about this production is that we are looking at a family that lives, lives on U Street. There's a transition. Um, an earthly transition, but you also get a sense that there's a transition in the room 
for that family. They have some decisions to make. Um, what comes next after the matriarch has left uh, the space? Uh, where do they go? Where are they going? Uh, so it should be some questions, but that what they always bring with them is that which they always had. That they were on journeys all the way from Africa to, in this case, South Carolina. And then migrated north from South Carolina to find Washington, D.C. And so that wherever they go, they have that inside them. They have that connection, they have that root. And that is important. The important thing is to celebrate the space, to celebrate the street, but know that U Street is always within them. It was, it, was, it was with them when they were in Africa. It is with them when they're in South Carolina. And then they moved to a place called U Street and matched up rather nicely. Uh, but that they have inside them a, a legacy that is one not to be let go of, one to celebrate, and one to sing about, to raise their voice, to know that in the art and the artistry that comes from uh, the, um, the impulse to create, um, starts with the impulse to create, uh, and that, that, that lives within them as family members. So um, the history certainly doesn't begin in 1968 and uh, in 2018, and it doesn't end in 2018. That's uh, what I think our play does really beautifully. Yeah, and uh, the music, of course, is the journey that you can sort of witness as you're trying to follow the story. You're hearing a lot of, a lot of people's lives interjecting and, of course, trying to pull them into a, a two-hour or maybe hour-and-a-half time frame. But the music itself, as you kind of sense when we got into the joint is jumping, it's a song that, these are songs that sort of pop into our, our history even beyond, you know, U Street itself. Uh, but what's interesting in this, in this production is that you get to hear where it came from. It did, it's not a song that just started as the joint is jumping. It actually started as some other styles of songs that became the music of the heart of the, of the souls of the people that were performing it. And that those words, you could say the joint is jumping, you could say, you could say other words, you could say walk together children. Um, the words were different, but the sentiment was the same. The songs were always something that expressed the emotion, the emotions of the people. So for me, I mean, historically, I think it's just really interesting to see, and as you, as you heard some of the early songs, you may not know the earlier songs, because they're songs that weren't as, that didn't become as popular as the joint is jumping or aim is behaving. But those are songs that gave those performers an opportunity to express their feelings, and you can kind of see where they guided the next person that picked up that song and then took it to another level. And then even here, when we're hearing songs here, when you hear a lot of the songs that we know well from Duke Ellington, you hear them after he's already gone to New York. So you hear them very polished, you know, with very refined vocalists and soloists and brass that actually, you know, that's not how the song started. It's nice that it got to that point, but it actually was a little rougher, you know, around the edges when it first got started. So when you hear some of these songs, I think you may say, hmm, I didn't know it sounded like that. Uh, but you have to remember, it's in the time spectrum of where it began. So a large part of what the story of U Street is, that this is a place of, of history that launched where we actually know these artists on television and radio in New York. So just try to go back to where, where it all began. Okay. Um, one of the other things that we're dealing with in our city, of course, is gentrification, which is um, a horrible word for a lot of people, and people, other people embrace it. So as far as our 
propelling forward. Our city is experiencing uh, just a tremendous growth with new people coming into the city. Um, how do you view this new change that's happening to our city because we're getting an influx of money as well as uh, new people and also lots of uh, resources that they bring with them uh, in coming to a city as well as being a political city with lots of transplants? It reminds me, the question does, of something James Weldon Johnson said about Parliament in 1925, and he called it the Great Experiment. And he talked about jazz, specifically, and music. And he talked about all the artists who were coming into Harlem to play together. The Cotton Club, of course, was segregated, but after hours you could go to this void, the band would win, you could go to these other clubs, and or the, the other smaller juke joints that probably go unnamed. And all of these artists, Duke Ellington, Cap Calloway, Benny Goodman, they would all kind of get together, black and white in between, and play the music. And also, you had poets who interacted, and you had um, dancers who interacted, and he basically said, if we can take this, this span of city, this, this small part of Manhattan called Harlem, and we can all live together as artists, and we can all exchange the highest part of our cultural ideas and identities, and create something that works, then we are setting the stage for a nation that can work. And so I look at U Street similarly. It's changing. Harlem changed. Three quarters of the African American population left the South between 1911, roughly, perhaps a bit even earlier, all the way up through the peak of it hitting about 1930, 1935, and continuing up to the 60s. So literally, with the great migration pushing into the, the African Americans pushing into the North and having populations like Harlem's black population or African American population explode to like 311% of that increase, then you're looking at something that was really phenomenal in terms of all of these people coming from someplace else, meeting with immigrants that were coming from other parts of the world, meeting with people who had been there for quite some time, and figuring out how to live together. And the arts really was the catalyst for that. And so I think if we can preserve the best of what artists have to offer here in DC, and we can begin thinking about cultural structures, museums, galleries, clubs, places where we train artists and really putting our emphasis and focus on those places, it can be really important, an important experiment, an important sort of flagship that will allow us to all live together and not have so much anxiety about the changes that are just going to come because of the groundwork that's already been laid. What I enjoy about this process is that we cast locally. DC has a decent reputation in theater, uh, specifically, for casting locally. Uh, Chicago had that, that, that um, reputation as well. And there are a couple of talents, but before, it, it hasn't always been that way. It was always, we need to grab the talent from someplace else, when the talent was right here in the city. People in D.C. used to go and get themselves a 202 uh, prefix in order to work in D.C. And 
So there's, there's two things I want to talk about in terms of what that means for the artist. We're talking about this thing, Black Broadway, and this, and I mean, Duke Ellington was from this neighborhood. He was from the cut. He was from Georgetown, right? So that how the city moves around and how its demographics moves around, there are forces there that I can't speak to. Some economic, some political, uh, some racially motivated. Where's the next place to go? Where's the next best opportunity for my family? But in terms of artists, casting locally and supporting them is important. As you guys are doing right now, I very much appreciate that. I can't wait to see you on opening night. But also, it's interesting because these districts are born and reborn, and they will dangle out there. We have this fledgling theater company that is doing really well and really innovative work and great work. You would want to put economic power behind that. So, I would hope that as artists, we recognize how we are being. Used, I don't mean that in that used word, to bring that economic prosperity to a new neighborhood, a newly discovered neighborhood that was already there. So it's important to recognize that through something like U Street to the Cotton Club inside, and that stories are told inside institutions that are changing, changing leadership, changing demographics within the uh, theater company itself, the spaces and how they're used so that, they are, that we recognize that there is talent right around and right next door, and that we are bringing those folks in, training them, making sure that we highlight them, putting their names on billboards, supporting them as they grow, and making sure that we can say, oh, I remember when they came up. I was there. I saw that first show. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe it. There are people in this audience right now who, at the very beginning of my career in D.C., I met and lifted me up. So while we're doing, talking about gentrification, it is about a neighborhood supporting its own. Recognizing that, that there is, this is too diverse a city not to find that great talent right here, that they don't have to run away to go start someplace. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a twofold thing for me, specifically from the artist point of view, knowing that we have artists in this cast. I was really specific about who I cast in this show. People who have given their life's blood to this city, to this art. Uh, and that we want to support them and those things going forward. Little hint, there's a little family component in the show. <laughs> when we first did the show, this is a re-remount. Uh, so yeah, re-remount. Third go-around. So the first time, my son was the assistant director. He was six. He told me what to do. He had the show memorized. He told the actors what to do. He <laughs> said, I'm sorry, he told you what to do. <laughs> um, and then, then when we remounted the show, uh, my daughter was a part of the show, except she was inside. But because we have local playwrights and because we have local artists, because they were so excited about the family thing that we were talking about inside the play, so it was like, oh, that's going to be part of the show. Wrote that right in, right? So now they're grown and they've been performing for a while. They're pros. <laughs> Um, and so that's the kind of evolution, and it's, it's fun inside this kind of show, but it's also, I think, an example of what we want to see happening inside our city as it goes through its changes. As long as we are supporting each other and recognizing uh, the beauty points, what we can offer, rather than what we can take, I think this great experiment might be able to work. And a discussion with David Driscoll just down the street at the Shaw Library just the other day, and for those of you that may not be as steeped in the art world, 
but David Driscoll is an African-American professor of art, well-recognized uh, locally, nationally, and internationally for his artwork. But he um, commented that there were about seven or eight, maybe nine uh, African-American galleries in the city in the 70s. I came here in the 80s, and that just totally blew me away. And that uh, made me wonder, is there, uh, because of the growth that we're experiencing, a, uh, a way that local artists are going to get squeezed out? Because where I came from in Austin, Texas, if you're from another address, the outsider is considered better suited for a job than the locally grown talent. So um, will the local talent get squeezed out or they are they thriving? Because it's a very dynamic um, uh, theater scene here in, in D.C. As Augusto Bawal said, art is politics and politics is art. And what we've done in American society is we have sort of compartmentalized art as an exquisite, non-functioning, aesthetic practice. And once that happens, then it's very easy to discard it or lob it off when you decide, if you're choosing between a hospital and a theater. But if you say to somebody, art is medicine, and so, now we're talking about a more inclusive idea about what art is. So I think it's, it's incumbent on artists as well to say, wait a minute, I'm an artist for life's sake. When I start talking and practicing, when I do my work, I'm working on the evolution, edification, and even perhaps even physical healing of human beings. And so subsequently then, politically, I am important to you. And I think we don't do that enough, particularly when we go and we sit in these counts, we try to explain, drives me batty, but we try to explain to people who are non-artists why art is important. And it is something that's been said forever in American society. Oh gosh, what's her name, major modern dancer. She said, I can't get people interested in dance if you can't physic your kid with it or change your horse's hoof of shoe with it or build a barn with it, nobody cares. And Jersey Grotowski said, people make beauty every day. Every day you make beauty, you don't, you don't need me for that. But if I can tell you why your life is beautiful and make your life have deeper meaning because I've shared that beauty with you, then I'm important. So when we start talking about arts, place in the community, we can't talk to people about why art is important. You have to talk about why people are important. And then what art does to elevate people, education, children, etc. And artists get really annoyed when you say that. Because it's like, but then you're devaluing art. No, you're not. I'm putting it in a broader, larger context so people can understand why you should be here as opposed to having to explain to you aesthetics. And I think we get confused sometimes, and that's what makes those conversations difficult. You can feed kids with art. You can. You just have to be clear about that's what you're going to do. Right? My language is always about the things that are, that are important to me. Right? So I'm going to speak about it all the time as well. And I don't think that when we talk about word about this in such a marketing kind of a way, as opposed to, this is what's important to me, so I speak about it wherever I go. 
So if the people in the room find this thing to be important, then that's on, that's on your mind, that's, a, that's on your heart. That's, that's something that you talk about in the bar and in other spaces that are not art spaces. I said, I want to go see this play, it blew my mind, it made me think of these things. And so the conversations become art-infused uh, as well. So finding ways to make art a part of your life, uh, if, it's, if it's important to you in that kind of way, if it does feed you, then, you know, make sure it feeds others. That was just some of the conversation we had on December 17th. Thanks for listening to this in-series, in-tune podcast. You can find more on our SoundCloud channel or by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen. From U Street to the Cotton Club opens January 5th at the Source Theater and plays for three weeks. Each show includes a pre-show walking tour of DC's historic Black Broadway, and on January 19th we'll host a go-go after-party with DJ Chuck Classic. All information and tickets are available on our website at www.inseries.org. For now, remember that Rabindranath Tagore says that civility is our first work of art. Make your lives civil, and they will be works of art.